COVID-19 is still in the news, of course. Going maskless, disappearing color grids, variants from faraway places, approvals by the FDA for youngsters getting vaccines. All of this is still part of the dialogue that we are having. Lots to talk about regarding COVID-19. But before you go thinking or griping about how things are, almost back to normal, uh, but not really. Uh, I wanted to bring our resident go-to guy on all things COVID-19 back to the John McMullen Show. Good afternoon, Dr. Brian Hodgkins from Desert Oasis Healthcare, where they are as close as clinics in Palm Springs and Indio and always online at mydohc.com. Hi, Brian. Hello there, John. How are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Uh, you have had a very busy 14, 15, 16 months uh, as kind of the go-to guy on the DOHC campus uh, in having to deal with all kinds of things. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about some of this. Uh, since our last get-together, Brian, the President of the United States gave his thumbs up to pulling down his mask in public uh, with the newest guidance from the CDC, but California is sticking to its guns and saying that people in the Golden State still need to wear them in certain places. Uh, where and why? Uh, I think a lot of people are saying, aren't we all created equal? <laughs> that's a, You know, that's an excellent question. You know, um, basically what is happening is California is deciding, deciding that they're going to uh, roll back their roll back their mask mandate on June 15th, which is consistent with what the governor has uh, informed us uh, is also his day to remove and rescind the tiering that's existed all across California. As your listeners probably know, we're stuck right now uh, in the orange tier. Uh, we, we, we haven't been able to get less than 2% positivity rate for two weeks, along with less than 2% or 2 new cases per 100,000, uh, you know, and our numbers actually ticked up this last week. So we're going to be stuck there, and I think this is okay. So here, here's why. Um, you want this to happen uniformly all at one time, and you also have to understand that there will be uh, local ordinances that will still be enforced in various counties. There are still 11 counties in California that are in the red zone, which is even, you know, less permissive than us. So I think June 15th will give us another month to uh, aggressively vaccinate Californians. And so when they do rescind the mask mandate for indoor activities, uh, we can all enjoy um, really an honor system for those of you who have been vaccinated to uh, feel quite safe that you can go indoors and enjoy those activities that have been uh, verboten for so long. Absolutely. And I also understand that um, like 3 to 5% of the population falls into the category of being what they call immunocompromised. Should those people continue to stay masked up right now, period? And and are there certain medicines that people may be taking that are indicative that they should remain really hyper vigilant about employing those safety measures that we've been uh, trying to exercise for the last year plus? Yes, you know, the, the um, it's unfortunate, but some of the more recent data, we, we always knew that people who were immunosuppressed, so this would be 
somebody who's undergoing active cancer therapy for leukemia or a solid cancer, somebody with uh, rheumatoid arthritis who is getting um, special therapies that suppress their immune system so that they can control, you know, their rheumatoid. Uh, These individuals do not mount as a robust uh, immune response to the vaccine. They get some benefit. But, but let's just put it on a 100% point scale or 100, 100% scale. You and I might be at 95%, which is what the vaccine, Pfizer, and Moderna have demonstrated. They might be at 60% or less. It's hard to quantify unless we're actually doing antibody testing in them. But they're going to be at risk forever um, because of their you know, basic immune status. And so I would recommend, and we would all recommend, that they continue to be vigilant if they're outside and vaccinated in a low-risk situation. No need to mask. But if they're in a crowded area um, and we still haven't reached, uh, you know, 85% herd immunity, those individuals should still probably continue to mask just to protect themselves. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked you about this because, um, and I'll just use a personal uh, instance, my uh, father is 83 years old, and he is now all vaccinated, and they're trying to get back to some semblance of a somewhat normal life. But he also has rheumatoid arthritis and is treated on, a, I think, a monthly basis by uh, Remicade. And so is he an example of somebody who should still be one of those hypervigilant people? Yeah, you know, you just have to have a a slightly higher uh, sense of being careful. If he happens to be in the bubble, you know, like at your house and everyone's vaccinated, probably doesn't need to mask. He's at low risk because he knows and understands those around him have been fully immunized and are uh, posed very low risk. But in a crowd or with people he does not know, uh, you know, we're still going to have 20% of, 25% of Americans un, unvaccinated, you know, over the next months, you know, trying to encourage them as may or may not happen. But so let me also understand, are these immunocompromised people, are they, I think I understand the way that you're saying this, so um, those folks would be, potentially still able to get very, very sick because the efficacy is not the same as it is for you or I if we're at 95% and they're at 60%. Could somebody actually die from an infection that way? Yeah, the, the, you know, the risk of... So what we're, what we're seeing is people who are vaccinated who have very robust immune responses... Um, you know, the breakthrough infection rate is like 0.08%. It's very low. But we are seeing patients who have been vaccinated, elderly folks, uh, with other chronic conditions who are getting COVID, and, but, but they're, they're asymptomatic or they're having less severe cases. We would anticipate there would be some degree of protection still in an immunocompromised person. So they might not get seriously sick, but they could be, uh, sick and have a mild to moderate infection. Yeah. And that's what we would, that they would have some degree of protection still. Yeah. And I think some people are getting freaked out because they hear about these variants and such, but they're also hearing stories about 
like six or seven members of the New York Yankees, and those guys are in pretty good physical condition. And while they had uh, no symptoms, uh, really, or showed no symptoms, uh, there were a number of them who supposedly were vaccinated and still managed to test positive for the uh, coronavirus. And so in a situation like that, I think that people start to hear that kind of information and they say, oh, see, it doesn't work anyway, even though it kept them from necessarily getting, you know, really sick. Right. Yeah. Well, one thing, you know, we don't have all the data uh, on, on what was happening there, but we do know that they got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is a single vaccine. Mm. It's very protective against getting serious infection. But it, but it has about a 60%, 65% uh, protection rate. So that means 35 out of 100 people who are vaccinated are still at risk for picking up an asymptomatic infection. So it's not totally shocking. Uh, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are run, running 94 to 95%. Yeah. But remember, you still have, have 14 weeks, uh, 14 days after your second injection to get full immunity. So right. they could have been a day later. They could have been, uh, you know, uh, previously having an asymptomatic, um, you know, infection when they got vaccinated. L- lots of things, you know, to consider. But the bottom line is we do know this vaccine more important right now than, than ever if we're going to get through um, and back to, to really what we want to enjoy is our freedom to normalcy. Sure. We're talking with Desert Oasis Healthcare's Brian Hodgkins. He is the director of uh, clinical operations there. And um, Brian, uh, this next thing I want to talk about really kind of makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck, and I think most rational people it would. But um, today, California's Attorney General Rob Bonta uh, came out and warned that there uh, remains fraudsters out there who are peddling fake vaccines and just as bad uh, fake vaccination cards or passports, as some are calling them. Uh, it seems to me that it's pretty dumb when you could just as easily go get vaccinated now and have the real card and it doesn't cost you a thing as to why people would go out and buy these fraudulent things. And and I've read in some places, in some states, that they're talking about prosecuting people who falsely represent that they have been vaccinated when they haven't, and that it's like felony level, put people in prison for up to five years. Uh, And I also worry about the effect of when we criminalize things that are tied to people's personal health like that. How do do you feel about all that? Well, you know, we wish that we haven't been placed into what I'm going to term as the honor system going forward. You know, when we rescind the mask mandate, um, you know, the only people really at risk are the people who don't wear masks, probably haven't masked all along, who continue to acquire and spread the infection. For the rest of us, if you're truly vaccinated, you're going to have little to worry about. But, you know, there's still a public health concern and risk because there are individuals who want all the benefits of being vaccinated, but for some reason have chosen not to for, for lots of reasons. And we know most of these fall along political um, you know, uh, bent. Um, They're not scientifically driven. Absolutely. And there's lots of reasons for that. And if you really look at like Vermont is almost 80% vaccinated. 
versus Mississippi that is less than 25% vaccinated. Oh. Nothing Mississippi, but you can see there are huge disparities uh, across the various states and counties uh, in the U.S. about how people feel about vaccination. I think we're going to see a more sophisticated um, vaccination passport in the future. I've already seen uh, apps that literally acquire your vaccine status from the CARES network. This is a, a central database, and it will actually load um, kind of a, on your phone. You'll be able to show it. It's kind of what they're using in Israel right now. So we're going to see a much more officiated and harder to uh, a fail-proof way to, to demonstrate people that have been vaccinated. That's coming, and that's going to be in the commercial marketplace. It's not going to be ordained by governments. Brian, let me ask you about kids, because there's been a lot of talk about uh, the fact that uh, I think at least the Pfizer vaccine has been approved now for 12 years old and up, and I've heard numbers as low as five or six years old that they're doing tests uh, on on young youngsters uh, that age. Uh, when do you think we might get to a place where everybody uh, who's alive is eligible for a vaccination? Yeah, I, I think we're getting close. Let, let me just comment on that because uh, you know we're we're in the top two percent of independent vaccinating organizations within California, we've given almost 50,000 doses of vaccine. Uh, And last week we did start on 12 years and up, and we've had tremendous uptake in our community, parents being uh, science believers and bringing their kids in the vaccine to be vaccinated. Let me just answer why that is. Uh, 25% of all new cases in the U.S. are in children. Now, even though they don't get serious illness, um, we still have 351 deaths, and thousands of kids have been hospitalized. So it's not totally benign. No. And so it makes for adolescents who can spread the illness that they be included in a, a large cohort for vaccination. Uh, it is extremely safe in this population. We've had no issues so far. And in fact, 700,000 adolescents 12 and up have been vaccinated at least one dose since we started this. Not just us. This is you know, in the U.S., since the uh, since that protocol was availed to adolescents 12 and up. The new data is already uh, burgeoning in the 2 to 11 group, and probably by October, the FDA will be adding that to the EUA, or the this is for Pfizer. That data is already pretty much uh, mature and, and in the can. It shows it to be 100% safe and effective, and protecting this group. Now, some people have had some controversial thoughts around this because, you know, the two to five-year-old or two and eight-year-olds, they they don't really, once again, get seriously sick. And we're trying to figure out what is the upside in this group as far as protecting them uh, against COVID. And, and my thought on that still is uh, any type of serious disease that you can avoid with a safe vaccine uh, that could be considered, I think, still makes sense. But safety first and i think we're seeing that uh all, all so far across all the age uh, groups that have been getting this vaccine well that's good uh and i i mean i just i hope that it's not that long before we're at a place where there's absolutely no excuse for anybody to say um you know one thing or another about why they couldn't get it i mean i have a couple of people who were on staff here at i radio uh who i finally had to tell 
a couple of weeks ago, uh, I don't want to hear your excuses anymore. You're either going to get it or you can't come into the office studios anymore. And Because I just, it boggles my mind that as easy as it is to get uh, an injection if you are over the age of 15 now, um, that there's just no excuse for it. Uh, it you can't tell me how hard it is and I don't have time and all this I mean even the the uh, uh, convention center in Palm Springs extended their hours till seven o'clock a couple of nights a week so those people who maybe had been using the fact that they weren't being allowed to leave work or anything like that to get a shot during the workday um, they now no longer have that barrier to entry into getting on with their life and i just don't want to see anybody get sick if if they don't have to i think that that's pretty common in our society today so you know you sit here and scratch your head and wonder are we ever gonna you know get all the people no but i want to make sure that we do everything we can to incent people as much as possible uh even if it means that a governor of one state has to give away a million dollars every week you know, I mean, it's crazy what it's taking to get people to want to live. Uh, listen, Lee, we, we were taking the vaccine on the road. We take it to our employer group into the community. We're at the Coachella Valley Library this weekend from 9 to 2. If anyone's listening and wants to just walk up and get your first dose of Pfizer, uh, please be our guest. So it, it's painless and easy, and you're right. Uh, the access to vaccines has never been easier and, and listen, 115 million Americans are fully vaccinated. 160 million are half vaccinated. I mean, do the math on that. I yeah. mean, we haven't seen any issues nearly. You're going to have three, well, 270 million people fully vaccinated in, in a month uh, without issue. That's that's pretty good so far. Yeah. Hey, Brian, does it make sense for people to still get antibody tests done now that we have the vaccines i mean i've heard that cvs is now doing the rapid antibody testing for those who want to know if they in fact have had it in the past but what difference does that make now that you can get vaccinated yeah you know even at the beginning of the pandemic uh, i i was never a real big fan of antibody testing because there has no, it has no clinical basis on what you can do about it. All it does is inform you that you may have been infected in the past. It doesn't talk about the durability of your antibody response, which antibodies or neutralizing antibodies you produced. Uh, it's not uh, quantitative. It's purely qualitative. And we do know that the natural infection does not give you the benefit and robust immune response that the vaccine does. Uh -huh. We're still vaccinating people who had the infection. We're encouraging, if you had the infection, not good enough. Go out and get vaccinated, and now you're really secure that down the road you probably will not see another uh, recurrence of an infection. Well, that's good. I, I would save your 38 bucks and, and use it for something else. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> use is it in the local community. Shop local. <laughs> yep, absolutely. What is the 411 on booster shots right now as people start to freak out about the variants that are popping up around the world? Yeah, you, you know, the variants are probably not necessarily going to be driving the booster shot requirement. Here's Here's what we do know. It's thought between 8 and 12 months we're going to have enough information to determine 
whether or not the third dose or a booster shot on an annual or every other year basis is going to be required. There are countries already adding the third dose to their regimens. UK is one example. I think we're going to see this happen. And I think sometime at the end of this year, early next year, everyone who has been vaccinated may be in line for another uh, vaccination, a booster. And I think that that's really going to put an end to uh, the COVID spread, at least for those who are vaccinated. So don't think, uh, don't laminate those cards, folks. You're going to probably get another shot down the road. That's correct. Okay. That's my, We're well, not putting our needles away. <laughs> no, I imagine not. Well, Brian, thank you as always for joining us this afternoon and answering all of our questions. It's always very informative to have a conversation with you, and we appreciate that. Folks can get more information about Desert Oasis Healthcare at mydohc.com. Thank you so much, Brian, for being with us.